Good morning and welcome to the jar. Uh, my name's Chris Bunch and we're glad that you're here today. And next week we are celebrating the ministry fair and so we want to encourage you all to uh, stay uh, next week to uh, celebrate that with us. Um, we'll have booths that will be all the way around here for different ways that you can serve. And the cool thing here at the jar is uh, we only ask people to serve once a month to once every six weeks. And so if everybody kind of does that, then we're able to uh, meet the needs uh, for people uh, as they walk into this place, like picking up a Connect card. That leads me to the next thing. If you have your Connect card uh, in your program, if you could fill that out for us, we would really appreciate it. It'll help you to uh, stay connected uh, with us. And we promise if you're coming for the first time, we will not uh, knock on your doors or, uh, you know, uh, do anything like that. So uh, you can feel free not to worry about that. Now, uh, we are going to celebrate a baptism on uh, November 22nd. And the next two weeks, we will be having classes right after church. And so if you have been thinking about baptism or you're interested uh, in that, I would just encourage you to go ahead and either you can uh, sign up online or in the back at the connections table. We just have a small little form uh, for you to uh, fill out and kind of do that. So if you could do that for us, that'd be great. Uh, last thing, one of the things uh, we think is central to the heart of growing closer to God is being part of a small group. And so we just want to encourage you, if you're not in a small group right now, that you would think about doing that. And uh, we have multiple groups that meet throughout the week, and so uh, we would strongly encourage you to pick one of those. Most of them only meet once every two weeks, so uh, it's not a, you know, a huge weekly commitment. But we think it's the best way that you can grow closer uh, to God. Tomorrow, my small group will meet at our house, and hopefully... Um, well, hopefully we'll survive. Uh, that's pretty much all I can say. Okay. Well, uh, our greeters are going to come forward at this time. We're going to uh, collect an uh, offering. If you're visiting with us, uh, we don't want you to give anything because you just being here is a gift to us, and we're grateful for that. But if you've been here for a while and you've connected here at the JAR and it, you've kind of made that part of your uh, vision and you accept the values, we'd encourage you to give um, this morning. So let's uh, pause and pray for this offering. God, we uh, thank you so much for uh, this day. We thank you for each of us being here. And God, there have been uh, so many of us that have been sick uh, throughout uh, the past few weeks. And um, we have just, uh, it's just been kind of tough even to get here this morning. Uh, maybe for some of us. But God, you uh, have brought each of us here uh, by name, and uh, you have a purpose for us to hear something from you. And so we ask that you would use your humble servant um, for us to be able to connect with you this morning. And God, we thank you for this offering that we're about ready to uh, take up, that it would be used to uh, honor you, and that we would be able to be light in dark places in Muncie and Delaware County and all of East Central Indiana. Come right now through the power of your Holy Spirit and would you move in this place as uh, we talk about uh, what it means uh, to get out of the basement. We just pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, you know, some basements are really, really nice. People go to great lengths to make their basements look nice. Sometimes they'll put a big home entertainment center in that basement. In fact, uh, when Jennifer was um, kind of uh, being recruited by different residency programs, we went to a house down in Indianapolis that was bigger than the church that I pastored at that time. And when we went down into their basement, they had a home uh, kind of theater room. I mean, little seats, and I thought, man, if I got to the basement, like, I wouldn't even go upstairs, you know? I'd just stay there. And other people have basements that have wall-to-wall carpet, and they have um, maybe an open bar or a stone kind of fireplace. Other basements have uh, pool tables and foosball tables and pinball machines like my Uncle Phil. And others have a PlayStation or a Wii that they play downstairs. Or if you were back like in the 80s, you had an Atari. Anybody remember the Atari? Some of you are like, I have not a clue. All right. Look it up on the Internet. But a lot of us have basements kind of like my sister Lisa. It's just kind of a dark, kind of cluttered place that you just put things in that you think you might use one day. Like an ab roller. Or a thigh master. And you put stuff down in the basement, like old photo albums or your kids' clothes, baby clothes, old books, uh, Christmas decorations. And all of this kind of stuff is just in the dark corners of the basement. And then there's always a trunk, kind of like this trunk. But in that trunk, we often put things in it that we don't want anyone else to know. We put things in it that are secrets. This past week I was uh, digging in uh, my trunk, and I uh, found in the trunk a letter. It was a letter from uh, a girl from high school, actually from college, I'm sorry, and uh, it was a girl that was an old girlfriend of mine, and I had treated her pretty badly and had used her and misused her, and it was a time of my life in which all of my life was about me, a very selfish part of my life. It was a time in my life when I was the furthest away from God that I'd ever been in my life. And the only thing that I was really good at was creating pain for myself and for others. And several years ago, I wanted to try to make amends with this girlfriend, and so I wrote this letter out. We had a common friend. I said, hey, do you think she'd be open to a letter? And she called her, and she's married now, the ex-girlfriend, and She said, yeah, and so I wrote the letter out, and I was just getting ready to send it. And I was apologizing for all the things that I had done when the day before I was getting ready to mail it out, 
our kind of moderator friend called and said she never wants to talk to you again. Don't send the letter. And uh, I have taken this letter and I just kind of put it in my trunk. And there's a lot of stuff in that letter that are painful things for me, but my hope is that one day forgiveness might happen. I have another friend named Mike. He's got a trunk. He keeps down in his basement. Not like this one, but similar. And Mike was the type of person who always wanted to be noticed by other people. And so he uh, got a big job and uh, spent money like it was going out of style. And he uh, was a heavy drinker. So when you kind of put those two things together, it doesn't help. And one day I received a call from his mom who told me, he had been arrested for embezzling tens of thousands of dollars in his company and they were getting ready to put him in jail and she wondered if I could go and visit him. And then she said this at the end of the conversation. She said, let's keep it a secret. And Mike, he had kept it a secret for a long, long time, for years and years and years. He had embezzled money from the company and no one ever knew, but finally they did a thorough audit And in the midst of the audit, they found that uh, he had embezzled all this money and he finally was caught and the secret was out of the trunk. And then he lost his wife and his kids and his house and his SUV and his parents had to put up their farm on mortgage just to keep him from going to prison. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what's in your basement. I don't know what's in your trunk. Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's a family secret that you've just never let out of the trunk. Maybe it's something of a betrayal that's happened in your life. And it eats at you constantly... And there are warning signs all the time that you need to deal with what's in the trunk in your basement, but you just kind of let it go. I was thinking uh, this week that for some young girls in high school, um, they spend every single day obsessing about the way that they look And they think that they should look like these models that uh, are placed on front covers. And they're obsessed about the way that they look and how their friends think about them. And they've given into the lies of the culture that a beautiful woman is a certain size. And no one really notices that pound after pound kind of begin to fall off along with pieces of their self-esteem. And most of the time, families just are like, we don't want to deal with this. We don't want to talk about it. And it's something that they just take and they put it in their trunk. Another thing I was thinking about this week with technology. Most of us love technology. It's a great gift to many of us. 
But no one would have ever amazed that technology could take us into different sites that would give us images that we could never get out of our heads. And sometimes even those images, we take our technology, and sometimes it's even down in the dark basement, in a corner of the basement where the computer's at. And we wait until the rest of the family goes to bed and falls asleep, and we don't think anyone else knows, but you know. And you go down and you look, and you've realized the reality of this statement. That secret sin cannot coexist with lies. And so we don't let anyone know, but we know, and pretty soon we just go ahead and we put it in the trunk of the basement. My dad only used this on me a handful of times, and most of the time it was deserved and it was never abusive. But I have a feeling that for some of you who are here today, that that wasn't your experience that you received physical and emotional and verbal abuse constantly. And you lived in a home where objects were flying around all the time. Names being called, people being pushed, maybe even punches being thrown. No restraint was ever made and no one in the family ever talked about it we just kind of put all of that and we put it in the trunk of the basement. Maybe it's unspeakable sexual abuse. Maybe at the hands of a step-parent or a grandparent or a cousin or a brother or a familyhood friend, but someone who abused you sexually, but you just kept it kind of in the trunk of the basement. Maybe it happened months ago, maybe years ago, maybe decades ago. And it's killing your family right now, even though it happened a long, long time ago. And what we do with all of these things is we store them in the trunk and we shut the door and we lock it and we throw away the key. But it's still there. And what happens is, if we leave it there long enough, the shame and the guilt consume us from that secret, and our lives become one that is lived in the basement. And if you live in the basement long enough, folks, guess what happens? Bitterness grows in the the basement. Many of you have probably heard about a guy by the name of Job. It's not Job, although it's spelled exactly the same. And um, his story is in the Old Testament, the first half of the Bible. And I'd encourage you to read it sometime. But Job lived much of his life locked up in the bitterness of the basement. Look at what it says in chapter 6. 
If my sadness could be weighed and my troubles be put on the scales, they would be heavier than all the sands of the sea. Folks, this is a guy who is living in bitterness. He's bitter towards himself, bitter towards God, bitter towards other people, bitter towards his family. And it almost took Job out of life. Now, my experience is that almost all the time, bitterness involves other people. It involves other people. I mean, what people say to us makes us bitter on the inside. And Job was a guy who had a lot of hurtful things said to him. Look at what he said. You have no, you have no troubles, and yet you make fun of me. You hit someone who is about to fall. Friends, what people, says, what people say to us causes hurt for a long, long, long time. You know, in elementary school, there was a phrase that uh, even our teachers would say to us. I want to see if you can complete it for me. It says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words... Isn't that the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your life? That is the stupidest phrase known to mankind. Because words do hurt. Words are painful. And that's the biggest lie we ever got growing up as kids. Labels and nicknames have stuck with many of us for Years, and we've never let it go. The Bible says this, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. What people say about us cause bitterness in our life. What people think about us causes bitterness in our life. You remember walking down in high school, down one of the hallways, and you're walking down the hallway... And uh, all of a sudden, you can't even hear what other people are saying, but you know that someone's talking about you. Happens in high school all the time. Maybe it's because they're whispering or they're looking at you or they're pointing at you or they're laughing at you. But have you had that experience before where you're walking down a hallway and people are talking about you? And do you remember how that made you feel? Job said this, You exalt yourselves above me, and you use my humiliation against me. You know what often happens is when that happens, bitterness grows, and we say, Man, I hate that guy. Or, Man, I hate that girl. And some of us hold on to that for a long, long, long time. Some of us deal with this regarding a parent. Maybe your mom or your dad or your stepmom or your stepdad, they had an ability of being able to always compare you to the good brother or sister. I mean, they'll even try to say things like, you know, could you just measure up to them? 
And you've just kind of taken that and you've stuffed it in the trunk of your basement. And for some of you, you've kept it there a long time. But you know you have animosity and some hatred towards either your parents or your siblings because of what has been said in the past. Friends, what people say about us, what they think about us, what they do to us causes bitterness in our lives. This is what Job said in his struggle. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. You see, one of the things that bitterness does, and one of the reasons why bitterness is so painful, because often it's not strangers that we get angry at, but it's people who are very, very close to us. It's usually people who we love. You're loving, you're trying to love a parent who abused you. You're trying to love a spouse that neglects you. You're trying to love an in-law that manipulates you. You're trying to love a relative that gossips about you. You're trying to love a spouse who broke a promise of faithfulness to you. And what happens is love and hate are such similar emotions in the fact that when they get together, sometimes it's very difficult for us to get this untangled in our families, and in our relationships. I mean, have you ever experienced this before? You have bitterness to someone in your family, and you walk into a room with them, or you sit down to have breakfast with them, or lunch, and you just feel uneasy. Thanksgiving is coming up, and so is Christmas. You'll be with people that you don't like, I guarantee And there'll be knots in your stomach. And why is that? And the reason is, you never dealt with it. And so the wraths of bitterness and resentment just get into your joy and the peace in your life, and they eat it away. And if you stay in the basement of bitterness long enough, you will find yourself in a prison. Look how Job put it. Resentment kills a fool, and envy slaves the simple. And then look at what his friends remind him of. They say, Job, you are only hurting yourself with your anger. You're only hurting yourself with your anger. This past week I looked through some scriptures And as I was looking through them, I found some dangers of bitterness. And I'm going to kind of give them to you rapid style. So if you have your program, you can open it up. There's a pen. You can fill these in pretty quickly. But this might be something you'd keep, uh, you know, scriptures to look at later on. So you ready? That's when you're supposed to say ready. Like if you had an extra hour of sleep, folks, okay? Are you ready? Okay, here we go. One. First danger of bitterness is bitterness causes spiritual blindness. Bitterness causes spiritual blindness. The Bible says this, anyone who hates their brother or sister is still in darkness. What bitterness does is it blinds you and you start stumbling around in this thing called life Because you have no spiritual ability to see what God wants you to do. Because you're blinded by your bitterness. Here's a second danger of bitterness. 
Bitterness blocks God's forgiveness. Bitterness blocks God's forgiveness. Some of you might remember uh, Jesus' words from his most famous teaching ever, the Sermon on the Mount. And this is what Jesus said. He said, if you don't forgive others, your heavenly Father will not forgive your sins. Take that in for a second. Wow. He says, you cannot expect to receive forgiveness from Him unless you're forgiving other people around you that you can't stand. And God says, give other people some slack because I've given you some slack. You forgive others, and I'll forgive you. But if you are unforgiving, if you're resentful, if you're bitter, and you don't cut people slack, then I can't forgive you. A third danger is this. Bitterness affects your prayers. Bitterness affects your prayers. Now, I just want you to know that this is especially true in marriage. I mean, when you hold bitterness towards your husband or your wife, it will affect your prayers with God. The Bible says this, Husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat her with understanding as you live together. She is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. If you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will not be heard. If you don't treat your wife or you don't treat your husband as you should, your prayers will not be heard. God's saying, don't talk to me about this thing in your life that you really want help with. Go get it right with your wife or your husband first. But God, I really need some help with this job. I'm struggling right now with this problem. Hey, you go get it right with your wife or your husband first and then come to me. I can't tell you how many times that on Sunday morning I've had to pick up the phone and call my wife before I got ready to teach on Sunday so I wasn't a hypocrite. Last night, Saturday night, she's sick, Shiloh's sick, I'm sick of them and they're sick of me. You know it's true. Don't act like you're all high spiritual. Oh, no, when they're sick, I'm just like Mother Teresa. Let them come to me. <laughs> and I've been trying to, you know, be whatever, and finally it just, it just didn't work. And we went, it was like 11.30, and I was thinking, well, it's only 10.30, really, you know. And we're sitting there and we're trying to work through stuff, praying together. And man, this scripture that I knew I was going to share today, I was like, man, i got to get this right. I'm not trying to be a highfalutin guy today, but I'm not going to Colts game today because I'm going to be with my wife. Because she's sick. And friends, by the way, this whole thing of making things right with people is not just in marriage. It's with any relationship you can think of. Often, when you're asking God for something, He is asking you, when are you going to get that thing right? When are you going to ask for forgiveness? When are you going to give forgiveness? When are you going to let someone off the hook? Get that thing right first, then come and talk to me. Here's a fourth danger. 
Bitterness steals your joy. It does. Bitterness will steal your joy. The Bible says this, The heart knows its own bitterness, and a stranger does not share its joy. You see, the reality is many of us think that we can hide our bitterness from everyone else. And maybe you can for a while. Maybe you can put it in the trunk in the basement for a while. But you know who you're bitter towards. And it can just come right into your life. You know it and God knows it. And this is what happens. Every moment of your life that you're bitter and it grows and grows and grows, you know what happens to your joy? It gets reduced and reduced and reduced and reduced. And pretty soon you start walking around and you are a cheerless, joyless, thankless, bitter person. People don't like people like that. Here's number five. Bitterness destroys your health. Bitterness destroys your health. Have you ever said before that that person is a real pain in my neck? Or maybe, you know, a lower place on the uh, spinal column? You You know, a lot of times, what is true is that bitterness, it just oozes into our joints. It leaks into our stomach. It causes ulcers and all kinds of things. In fact, researchers have found that the most unhealthy emotion that anyone can have that will affect their health is bitterness. It's the most unhealthy thing in your life. When you hold on to bitterness in your heart, it's just like taking a big syringe of cancer cells and putting it straight into your heart because that's what it does to your life. Look at what it says in Job 21. Some people stay healthy till the day they die. They die happy and at ease. Their bodies well nourished. Others have no happiness at all. They live and die with bitter hearts. Now wouldn't that be like a horrible inscription to be placed upon your tombstone? He lived in the basement. He lived and died with a bitter heart. Well, the good news is is that Job didn't spend all of his life in the prison of bitterness. He did realize that there was this God who was good and great and loving, who was right there in the basement with him. There was a God who would tell him the truth, a God who would heal his heart, a God who would sweep away all the past memories that he had experienced that would unlock the prison door. He kind of gave him an escape plan. God gave Job an escape plan. Let me give you an escape plan that he gives us. Kind of the first key in escaping bitterness is this. Reveal your hurt. Reveal your hurt. You keep hiding this stuff in the trunk, it'll kill you. You gotta tell somebody. Job again says in chapter 7, he says this I cannot keep from speaking. I must express my anguish. I must complain in my bitterness. Now, I've found that there are three kind of groups of people. 
in the way that they deal with bitterness or with conflict. The first group of people, the way that they deal with bitterness or conflict is what I call stuffers. You know what a stuffer is? The conflict comes and they take it and the bitterness that they feel and they just stuff it and stuff it and stuff it and stuff it. They pull into a shell and they stuff everything inside. They hide it. They try to keep it a secret. And then one day it's like the pressure cooker explodes. Mount St. Helen erupts and whoo! All the stuffings come out. The second group is what I call spewers. When spewers face a conflict, the bitterness hits them and they just spew it all out to everyone else. They just let her rip. They spew all over the place. And you know when a spewer has hit you because they're upset about everything. But a third way to handle bitterness is not stuffing or spewing, but it's sharing. God desires that you would share your hurts with Him. He wants you to. He says, come to me and just say, God, I need help, I need strength, I want to walk free. You talk to the one who knows you best and loves you most. Secondly, you need to talk to a trusted friend. Job says this, In trouble like this, I need loyal friends, whether I've forsaken God or not. I think what he's saying is this. Sometimes you just need a friend who understands when you say, you know what, I don't think God is listening to me. I just don't think God's listening to me. Ever needed a friend like that when life was so difficult? You didn't want them to try to be super spiritual. You just wanted them to listen to you. You feel so far from God in those moments, you need a friend who's just going to nurse you in the faith until you find it. It's good to have someone like that. It's not good to have somebody who comes up to you and says, Well, you heretic? You mean you don't believe in God? Let me pray with you. Get this demon out of you. You don't need friends like that. You need someone who says, You know, I've been there too. I know what it's like to lift up a prayer and it just seems like it bounces off the ceiling and bounces out the window. And so I'm going to stay here and I'm going to walk with you and I'm going to care for you and I'm going to be with you. You know what? You can find friends like that right here in the jar. There's two places where you can find friends like that. One is in our small group ministry. All of our small groups are set up so people would come together and grow closer to God and grow closer to one another. And they're set up to allow people to reveal their hurts and that they would be accepted as is. The second place where you can find this is with our Celebrate Recovery ministry that happens on Thursday nights. No matter what your hurt is or your habit or your hang-up, Celebrate Recovery is for people to let them know it's a safe place to share their hurts. And as I've helped to organize uh, this ministry and, and worked with some of the leaders, this is what I've discovered. Most of us are just like the rest of us. Let me say that again. Most of us are just like the rest of us. We all got hurt. We all got pain. We all have different things in our life. 
You need to reveal your hurts. Here's the second thing to escaping bitterness. Release your offender. Release your offender. The Bible says this, Never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. For He has said that He will repay those who deserve it. If you've been offended, I want you to know that God is a just God. He says, don't take matters into your own hands. Let me. Because God has never hurt anyone. He's never done anything wrong. That's why He says, I can be an impartial judge. I will let you know that I can take care of those people who have offended you. But he says, release your offender. Release your right to get even. That's the thing with most of us. We want to get even. And he says, release it. Folks, if you ever want to live the fullest life that God wants for you, the abundant life that Jesus talks about, you will never receive that until you forgive other people. Because bitterness is the gift that keeps on giving. It is. It just keeps giving more and more and more. That person, that family member that hurt you ten years ago at the family Christmas party has gone forward. They have forgotten about it. But the bitterness and resentment that you have just keeps inside of you. Some of you, it may even be a person who's dead, and they're still victimizing you from the grave because you've never forgiven them. And folks, let me say this. If bitterness is a prison, then the key is forgiveness. Forgiveness is the key that unlocks the door to bitterness. Now, some of you are asking right now, well, how much do I have to forgive? I mean, seriously, how much do I have to do? The Bible says this. Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends and disciples, asked, Lord, how often should I Forgive someone who has sinned against me. Seven times? No, Jesus replied. Seventy times so. Now some of you already, I know, you've forgotten everything I've said and you're calculating it. Four hundred and ninety times. I'm good. Four eighty-nine. You got one more and then that's it. Okay? He's not giving us this literally He's saying that forgiveness should be a continual process. You see, this is how it works. It doesn't necessarily mean that you forget what happened to you, and maybe it takes a while to forgive the person. But God says eventually, you have to forgive. And this is the way it works. Every time you remember you've been hurt, you've got to release it. You remember it, you release it. You remember it, you release it. You remember it, you release it. You just keep saying over and over again in your mind, God, I give it to you for the hundredth time. I'm letting this person off the hook. I'm letting them go. Here's a third key in escaping bitterness. Remember how God forgave you. Remember how God forgave you. The Bible says this, Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. The fact is, folks, you will never have to forgive anybody any more than what God has forgiven you. And God forgives you completely, continually, persistently, constantly, unconditionally. He forgives when you have a relationship with Him. 
Even when you blow it, he says, I don't care. If you come to me, you accept me as Lord, I'll forgive you. And you will never have to forgive anybody more than what God has forgiven you. I have a good friend who learned about the power of forgiveness uh, several years ago. He lived so much of his life in the basement of bitterness. But eventually, he turned to God, and God kind of helped him out with an escape plan. And what's been interesting is that since then, I've seen God grow character and godliness and integrity in his life in the way very few I've seen. So if you would, please welcome Don Royal to come and share his story. Can you hear me now? Is that better? I like that. Can you hear me now? I've seen that on commercial. Jerry, can I stand over this thing and be safe? Thank you. Thank you. Hi, folks. My name's Don. I've lived a lot of my life in a basement. And the junk uh, that I left in my trunk for years was my addiction with alcohol. I abused alcohol uh, for quite a while. See, abusing alcohol right on both sides of my family both mom's side and dad's side. And as a teenager, I drank on the weekends and stuff for kicks. You know, my friends and I just love getting trashed. That was just our weekend away and having a good time. Well, I remember one time back when I was a kid, we were, we were driving down a back road between Delville and Yorktown. And uh, we were smoking a joint and drinking beer. One of our favorite pastimes. Um, we all looked down at the, we just heard this just weird noise. You know, we looked down at the 8-track. Look at you, look at me. That's old school for CD player. It's a... Anyway, we looked down at that thing because that noise, you know, just just got us. We were really zoning out. It was really cool. And then all of a sudden, I slammed on the brakes. Here come a train. We just, we almost got killed. Well, that's one time that I took and uh, shoved something in my trunk, stuffed it in the basement. I knew I had a problem. I needed to deal with something. Uh, when I graduated high school, I married my sweetheart from uh, from school. And uh, a few years into our marriage, she made a comment about, you know, maybe I was drinking too much. And, uh, you know, I ought to check it out and uh, maybe consider backing off a little. Well, after I was married and a few years into that uh, marriage, I was a member of our local fire department. And... Uh, I worked for 22 years in the fire service rescue. But that was one of those times that uh, we had gotten a call. And it was a child lost down by the river. Well, folks, I was the first one on the scene to see a man carrying his son up from that river. Um, the only first aid I'd had back then was, you know, from Boy Scouts or uh, what we got in school. And, uh, you know, I worked really hard to try to save that boy's life. But it just wasn't enough. They pronounced him, you know, deceased at the hospital. Well, from that day forward, I swore that'd never happen again. So I trained and trained, and uh, I was one of six that started our ambulance service there in Daleville. It was really awesome. There were more lives saved 
uh, since we started that service than lost. And I really thought we did some good. Now, I need to put these glasses on because it's getting blurry up here. <laughs> uh, but anyway, some, by being on the ambulance service and stuff, there are a lot of things you see that you just can't unsee anymore. And uh, that began to take a toll. So I started drinking quite heavy. Um, as time went on, again, just kept seeing more and more and kept doing more and more. And the drinking got worse. Uh, after a while, let's see, my dad was diagnosed with the heart disease. And he was taken from us back in 88. Uh, two years, uh, see, two years later, uh, I was officer on duty. And I had got a call that, uh, for an accident, an auto accident. And uh, that was my little sister. When I arrived, it was her family that was involved in that accident. Um, Sorry about that. Well, when I got there, let's see, uh, my brother-in-law was laying in the front yard of somebody's house, and my two nieces were in their lawn, and my grand or my nephew was in the ditch, and my little sister was hanging out the windshield of the Volkswagen van. Needless to say, there's some things you just can't unsee. Well, that uh, increased the drinking problem. And uh, two years later, my mother passed away of cancer. And two years after that, I was hit with a divorce. Uh, I went into the basement, and uh, there was nothing but a bunch of bitter ooze in my heart. And uh, I felt that towards God, towards my family, and just about towards everybody I knew. Um, you know, all the training that I had had just wasn't enough to save their lives. And uh, I felt I couldn't save squat. And uh, I had nothing left but my good old friends, you know, Jack Daniels and my buddy Bud. <laughs> we got along quite well. And uh, that's when I went through my what I call my seven years of hell. Throughout that time, I became really hard-hearted, mean, lonely, and a very bitter man. I remember seeing men walking down a sidewalk in the city that I had lived in. Um, they had worn-out clothes on. They looked like, well, they were horrible looking. I mean, really nasty. Uh, some of them were staggering and about to fall down at any time. And I figured that would never be me. I was taking my life in my own hands. And I didn't need anyone. Didn't need anyone anymore. One day, let's see, I needed a, need a pack of cigarettes. I had smoked quite a bit. And um, I went out to start the truck. Of course, it didn't start. wonder who had control over that one. It wasn't me. <clears throat> um, but I'd been on like a three-day binge. Uh, just one of those things. And uh, as usual, there wasn't anybody there to help me out. So I decided to walk to the grocery store. It was only about three blocks down the road. And uh, as I was walking down the road, I started thinking about how nobody had ever been there for me. 
You know, it's sort of looking back in the sand type thing, you might say. And, uh, well, I felt really alone. Felt like I was, like, beat up and washed up, hung out to dry. Well, I looked over from the sidewalk I was walking on into this car. You know, it was passing by. And they were looking down their nose at me. And I thought, you know, what was that all about? But anyways, I was reaching into my pocket for my last dollar and a half that I had. And uh, it hit me. I not only looked like those guys, but uh, I was one. So uh, that's when I uh, decided to ask God for his forgiveness and asked him to show me his grace. And I decided it was time to leave my basement and uh, deal with the junk in my trunk. It felt good. It really did. Now, it didn't happen overnight. Okay, it took a few years. But, uh, you know, from that time forward, you know, God gave me more than, uh, more grace than I felt I ever deserved, I ever deserved to receive. Since then, I've been really blessed. I have a wonderful wife. And I got good friends and a great church family right here. I've grown closer to my children and my grandkids. Here's the best part. My grandkids have never seen me drink, and I'm not going to let them. And uh, most of all, I'm loving my sobriety and freedom from the basement. I'm out here. In fact, I'm a part of the leadership team for Celebrate Recovery. And we'll be launching that in January. Uh, it's hard to believe what uh, God can do with a better old drunk who decides that uh, to let his uh, junk out of the trunk and get healed. It's really awesome. And in closing, if, uh, if the issue is in your trunk, is an addiction to alcohol or anything like that, uh, take it out of the basement. Seek God's light. Uh, talk to Pastor Chris. Yeah, if you don't feel like you can talk to him, talk to me. I can help out. I really can. God's uh, done a lot in my life. And uh, he can help you and yours. So today, you know, if uh, drug or alcohol isn't your addiction, um, it's not your, you know, the junk in your trunk, but something else, seek uh, Christian counseling and get some help for whatever's in your trunk. Because God got me out of mine. He can do the same for you. My name's Don. Thanks. Well, let me just kind of close by uh, sharing this scripture with you. The Bible says this, Remember the Lord forgave you so you must forgive others. God's forgiveness was the key to Don getting out of the basement of bitterness and into freedom. And the key for each person to get out of the basement is forgiving the other people around you. Look at what it says in Job 11. Put your heart right with God, then face the world again. Firm and courageous, then all your troubles will fade from your memory like floods that are past and remembered no more. Friends, you can be free. Job suffered a tremendous amount of pain, 
and through the basement, he finally was let free. Now this week, you're going to have a homework assignment. It's not going to be an easy one, but it's one that I hope you'll take time to look at. The first thing I'd like you to do with this homework assignment is to um, I'll pull it up here. What is the junk in the trunk of your basement? And what do you need to do to remove the bitterness? And then the second thing I'd like you to do is, who do you need to forgive that you've been holding a grudge towards? Let's stand as we close. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. We bow our hearts, we bend our knees, oh Spirit come make us humble, we turn our eyes from evil things, oh Lord we cast down our idols, give us clean hands, give us your hearts let us not lift our souls to another give us clean hands give us pure hearts let us not lift our souls to another give us clean give us clean hands give us pure hearts let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Let's pray. You might just pray this uh, yourself to Jesus. Jesus, I don't understand it all right now, but I know that you do. And I want badly, God, for my heart to be right. I want my family to be whole. I want to learn to forgive. I want to learn to be free. I want clean hands and a pure heart. God, I'm reaching out to you right now. Please take the bitterness and the hatred from my heart and replace it with fear. Not a fear in you, God, but a holy fear that allows me to know that you don't leave me, that, that you're with me. Replace my misery with your joy replace my fear with your courage 
Replace the hate in my heart with your love. Give me clean hands and a pure heart today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on up.